This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. We're so happy that you are here. Today is September 19th, 2023. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the exemplary Simon Belanger. We have a full slate of topics and news to discuss today. We got individual companies, we got uh, Canadian <laughs> macro. <laughs> We got some fun stuff. We got some complicated stuff. We got some easy stuff. Everything in between on today's show. Do you want to kick us off with the first piece of news today? Um, yes, but first I have a question for you. So someone on our joint TCI uh, was asking what you were eating last week in the video. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, Or do you even remember? Just, <laughs> oh, it was a, it was a sandwich and soup. Vegetable okay. soup and a sandwich. Okay. Uh, yeah. So every time we go to record now, because uh, we record on Tuesdays, and my calendar now, like work-wise, is officially just a joke. Like, it's just overlapping meetings that never basically end. Like, I, I block off my Thursdays for no meeting mental health Thursdays. But other than that, it's just an absolute Jenga calendar. So I'm always like, Simone, I need 10. Uh, whatever I'm eating right now, I need to wolf it down. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. What oh, is, yeah. are we back with, with Heather at uh, yeah. Indigo? Yeah, she's back. So it's funny that I decided <laughs> to look back at Indigo last Thursday um, or last Monday, this this week, actually. It's just, you know, the, how we record. Sometimes I forget which episode is which. But um, it's funny because uh, for those not aware, she returned as CEO of Indigo. I think it was announced yesterday. So she was the founder and former CEO of Indigo Chapter. She founded it in the 1990s, late 1990s, if I remember correctly. She had had retired a year ago, but now is back after Peter Riz, uh, resigned. And, you know, like I mentioned when we talked about it earlier this week, uh, Indigo's not doing that great right now. I mean, I think there's still something there. I think there's definitely a brand and there is definitely potential. Um, so she definitely has her c work cut out for her, but she's not young. You'd think at 75 years old that she would have earned her actual, you know, earned her retirement, but she must be really passionate to, to be back because <laughs> it's the worst retirement ever. This is a Tom yeah. Brady retirement. Psych, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> well, I feel like it must be her baby. And I think she was saying, thinking of joining the board at some point too, just more as an oversight. Uh, but I guess with the departure, they probably knocked on her door and asked her if she was willing to come back. Wait, she's 75. I just she have is. her here yeah. on. Because I'm just Googling her here on Google Images. She looks fantastic. 75. Oh, yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. good for her. Wow. She does not look 70. That, hey, whatever you're doing, Heather, keep it up. Did I just realize that this is Heather for Heather's pick? Like, you know, they say, like, oh, Heather's yeah. picks the that, No, I. <laughs> <laughs> How did I never put that yeah. together? So she's clearly passionate about the brand. So, I mean, yeah. we'll have to see, uh, you know, I guess with her track record and what she's done with the business over the years, um, I mean, my, I guess this is as good as a pick as, you know, they could have thought of. But uh, kind of wrapping up that one uh, compared to uh, what we talked about last week. 
maybe working keeps her young. So she's back, back to business because, uh, yeah, good for her. A Canadian CPI. Is that, did that come out this morning? When, yeah. when did we get that? Yeah, it came out this morning. I actually okay. like completely forgot about it. Then I kept getting alerts on my phone. <laughs> so like, oh, um, we're recording today. So probably should talk about it a little bit. Um, so the headline CPI actually came in hotter than expected at 4%. Uh, most economists were predicting around 3.8%. So not great. Also kind of brings back some memories of Twitter of a few months ago with certain officials from uh, the federal government celebrating 2.8% inflation. Um, that was, I think, you know, whatever you think about the, the liberals, you know, whatever your political views. Uh, aside from that, I think for me, it was just like, wow, like you really have to be careful of celebrating this quickly. I mean, elections are what, yeah. like a year or two, depending on when they're declared and or, you know, um, I don't know the exact worth in English, but it would just in terms of PR, it was just like, wow, this is a very dangerous move to take a victory lap. And now we're seeing why, especially in terms of the energy base effects. So the one the first thing I'll start off is there was some good in these, um, you know, the, the not so bad, I would say. So food prices actually decline on a month over month according to the CPI report. I don't know if I've seen that myself in grocery prices, but it declines. They'll take victory laps on that soon as well. Don't you worry because I have a follow up on this, this yeah, exact topic. No, exactly. And I, I don't know the exact, I believe it was 0.1% decline because I forgot to write it here, but um, it was still up 6.8% year over year for food specifically, but that is still down from the 7.8% a July year over year. And one thing that, um, Stats Canada does quite a good job is they'll have like these graphics and this one I found pretty interesting was uh, just how the food increase is in terms of categories uh, in terms of July versus August so certain things increase in price for food like fresh or frozen beef coffee and tea sugar and confectionery however fresh and frozen chicken decreased in price in August. Actually not decreased in price, but there was disinflation, so less inflation. So they none of these decrease in price actually. Cereal products, less inflation again uh, for August compared to July. And same thing for fresh fruit. So there were some kind of good notes here. And before I continue on CPI, I have a little interesting story. So I went to um, the grocery store a couple days ago and there was literally someone trying to steal like probably like $300 worth of beef or worth of meat that happened right next to me. So, the, you know, these little... Are they like making a run for it? Well, he had this little kind of rolling bag that you see people like, you know, they're yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. covered with a handle. So he yeah. was just filling that in. And I guess he must have been known by the grocery store. So one of the mm. attendants just like took him aside, took the bag put it all on the uh you know the cash area and uh they had a few uh choice words for each other and then the person just left uh left the store so i never seen that but apparently it's quite common because i posted it on twitter and people were like oh yeah it happens all the time that was my very first job working at the grocery store and that was the very first piece of training was about theft I remember it very clearly because my first job, you know, and you're sitting down, you're, you're in like the, the lunchroom getting the training videos. 
And I th- I'm pretty sure the entire first two hours was just about preventing theft because it's a huge, uh, huge thing in, you know, all retail concepts, but uh, in grocery stores, uh, definitely. And like, there's certain little tricks that people do. And, and I think everyone's also like accidentally stolen from the grocery store by like, you know, putting something heavy on the bottom and it goes through. Like if the retail clerk doesn't mention anything, it's not top of mind. Like that happens all the time. It's oh, a yeah. huge source of source of losses for grocery stores. I have seen a lot of videos that are getting surfaced a lot. And and maybe it's just the algo promoting them because maybe that's what the algo likes right now. But just like mass stealing of of food and items from grocery stores, like basically very unsophisticated organized crime type things. And, you know, it shows that people one, maybe hurting weakness in the consumer and that, you know, the prices of, I mean, look at the year over year comp on a year over year comp that was far, far elevated. And you're seeing that high, you know, sustained in high single digits. Yeah, I know like what I've heard, this is anecdotal and I'm not saying they're all doing that, just anecdotal. So take this with a grain of salt. But um, I've heard that some restaurant owners will actually, you know, pay people who steal meat because it's one of their most expensive products that they buy. So they'll already have a buyer when they steal, especially red meat because it's expensive. So I don't know whether that's widespread or not, but I heard it from a couple people in the industry that said, yeah, they... They know some people doing that. Um, you know, it's kind of mixed feeling because you do think, you know, they're probably doing it for a reason because their margins are very tight or something like that. But um, just, you know, take it as you may. I'm not saying that they're all restaurant owners are doing that, but I've heard it uh, from a couple people that, you know, it does happen in the industry. It's such a, uh, the restaurant industry is such a story of tales. Like a few restaurants crush it and just like print money and then like the rest of the distribution curve is a lot of hardship so you know it's it's a really really hard business with a few tail outcomes that you know do phenomenally well and create you know life-changing wealth for the family but uh you know there's it's a distribution curve and it's not easy for everyone. Uh, is that it uh, for, for your segment here? Yeah, okay. so that was more like on food. So uh, here, well, how about this? I, I have a follow up here on groceries. Okay, you go on for this. it. Yeah, and then so I'll that, finish and then we this. Can, we can loop back. So there was a, a bit of political theater, uh, for the lack of a better <laughs> term, organizing the grocery store CEOs to get together and go to Ottawa to, you know, put their heads together or whatever, you know, kind of optics uh, that need to be done, both from the from the feds and from the CEOs. So it's kind of like a low hanging fruit uh, in politics right now to to go after the, you know, the CEOs, you know, these these billion dollar companies, these mega rich families and, and ultimately blame them for food inflation. And uh, PM Trudeau last week said in, you know, his big speech, quote, if their plan doesn't provide real relief, we will take further action and we are not ruling anything out, including tax measures. (laughs) Now, that gave me a grand chuckle, of course. And uh, here from BNM Bloomberg, top executives from Canada, major grocery stores um, have agreed to work with the Canadian government on stabilizing 
uh, prices. Uh, it goes on and on and on here. And so Costco, Walmart, Empire, which is Sobeys, Metro and Loblaw executives met on Monday morning. So I guess yesterday with the finance minister and uh, Minister Champagne. Champagne. It's, champagne. It's, champagne. Yeah. Yeah, champagne, yeah. I didn't want to say champagne because then it would make me seem very uncultured. <laughs> they have uh, agreed to support the government of Canada in their efforts to stabilize food prices in Canada. What does that mean? Like, you think they you think they solved grocery inflation in one meeting? This is a uh, you know obviously a giant set of optics here, and uh, I find it all quite amusing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, we try not to get too political, but sometimes the politics intertwine with the investing world. And this is definitely one of them. Um, I think one of the things I everyone probably have seen that is the polls are not showing, you know, the liberals very highly right now. I think there are some of the lowest rating terms of polls. Um, I've seen multiple polls showing that. So I think they're kind of scrambling to try and tackle the issues that are dragging down the polls. And obviously, inflation is top of mind for people and obviously food inflation is very top of mind we've seen housing as well they've announced some recent measures including basically the- core cpi yeah exactly and um so you know they've around some recent measure i think they removed the uh they'll be removing the gst for uh builds of rental housing you know in the coming i'm not sure the effective date but it does sound like they're trying to show that they're doing something where people are struggling the most, including food inflation. Where I have an issue a little bit with this is, you know, grocers are just one part of the chain. And without engaging to the rest, like grocers have no control over fertilizer prices, for example, which is used in agriculture. So as those fluctuate, it's going to have an impact on food prices. They don't have any impact on energy prices. Like you're, a lot of the food we consume is transported from the U.S. or even further down south, right? So they don't have... You know, any control over that, the manufacturers that will, you know, make or, you know, uh, package a lot of the foods that being sold, they have very, very little to no influence on those as well. So I think it's just, you know, I just have a hard time trying to blame one party in particular. And even I was looking at the tweet from uh, the food professor, he's pretty widely known, Sylvain Charlebois, who uh, works at the Dalhousie University. He's a researcher. And he had this similar kind of thing is like you're not engaging all the actors in the supply chain to try and think that grocers on their own will be able to make an impact is kind of missing the point. So maybe in those meetings, they kind of realized they needed to engage more stakeholders as part of the process. But that's where I had a, you know, to me, it was just it felt like PR. That's what it felt like. Oh, t- yeah, yeah. One million percent. And the, I guess the, I'm just looking here at Empire because I look at Loblaws a lot more than any of these names here, maybe outside of Costco. The gross margins have materially ticked up since about 2017 uh, and earlier. So if they, if there is some sort of, you know, something to be done. This is the metric that I'd be watching, right? Is like what, how much they're actually making a take rate on gross margin for the business. And it's ticked up from low 24% to mid 26% during that time frame. Now, is that material expansion? 
No, but is it material expansion for a low margin retailer? Yes, I, it it is without without question. So there's a lot of players here, um, and you know, pointing the blame at one is obviously impossible. But this is this, this is the world we live in, right? This this is the the world of capitalism. Everyone's trying to increase their margins. You know, yeah, this, I, these are these are publicly traded businesses and they have a mandate to their shareholders and they're all trying to play in this arena and you know they moving forward there's going to be probably a, a large incentive for governments to start to try to regulate their returns now i'm not saying that that's going to happen for sure but if you just do you know a temperature check there is incentive for governments around the world, not just in Canada, to regulate the returns on the food industry, just just broadly with all the pressure that they're under right now. That's just my take. Whether that happens, I don't know, because it's very, very hard to actually turn into action. Yeah, and even a law laws, I mean, their gross profit margins have gone up, but the operating margins, they also have gone up, but not as much, uh, just a couple. I would say 100 basis points, maybe a little more. And then the free cash flow margins have gone up. Those have probably gone up the most for Loblaws in terms of over the past 10 years or so. And, you know, I was kind of interested. So I looked at it too before uh, we looked at and Empire is the worst by far in terms of margins. And then you have Loblaws and Metro that are pretty similar. Metro is a bit better in certain margins. Loblaws is better in some other margins. But the last thing I'll say here is where I think the government has to be careful regardless, you know, whether it's a liberal, NDP, conservative, if we look at two, three, four years down the line after the election, whoever's in power then, you have to be careful with these kind of moves because if you're a business that's a foreign business looking to invest in Canada, you start seeing the government interfering in private businesses like that, you're probably going to think about it twice before you open operations in Canada. And to me, you have to be careful. Granted, it's food. It's one of a necessity. But at the same time, if I'm a business owner, I'm looking to expand in Canada, um, I would be a little bit wary of the government uh, trying to impose certain regulations out of the blue just for political points. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, should we loop back here now to the rest of uh, CPI yeah. before, before? No, we I like what you did. You know, we were talking about food. Go to a little <laughs> bit of a food news here. Um, so go back to CPI. Obviously, the the headline CPI was four percent year over year. Um, so the not so good. And we talked about this a couple of months ago when we were discussing the June CPI figures and. Gasoline prices rose 0.8% year over year, which was the first time since January that there was a year over year increase. It actually increased 4.6% month over month. Energy, which is a broader category, which does include gasoline, but other types of energy was up 1.8% year over year and increased 3.7% year over uh, month over month. And when I mentioned it in June, I said, okay, like right now, like July and August, we're going to see the base effects starting to shift in terms of energy and fuel prices. Whereas, you know, 
in June, we were looking back at June 2022, and there was a big ramp up in uh, energy prices a year before, but now it's the opposite thing. So you're looking at the base effect. Prices were going down a year ago, and what we'll do is if prices keep going up right now or even staying steady, you'll probably see energy being a bigger factor for the upcoming months in terms of inflation and putting pressure on that. So I think it's something that was pretty easy to see. And uh, at the time, that's why I criticized a kind of victory lap about inflation going down, because looking at just that information, it didn't take, uh, you know, someone super sophisticated to figure out that there was definitely a big risk that inflation would pick back up. Uh, shelter costs were up as well, pretty significantly, 6% on a year-to-year basis that was led by higher rents. And two out of the three core CPI measures, which strip out the volatile elements of CPI, including food and energy, um, were actually up. So one of them was flat and the other two were slightly up. And that's something that I can guarantee the Bank of Canada will be keeping a close eye on as they make some decision for future rate hikes. What a different environment that we've gotten ourselves into than just 24 months ago. And it all stems with you know, the, t- the two levers that that the you know central banks can pull. There's two, ba- two basic levers that they can pull. And, and when there's, there's inflation, interest rates go with it. Now, a lot of this is very, you know... Feels bad, right? Inflation feels bad, and 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 it and it is. It, it can be, uh, can be quite bad when it goes out of whack. One, uh, you know, positive thing that comes out of this. Say, I'm getting like five percent on my cash these days, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feels nice. I've never done that. You know, I I, I wasn't uh, I was an investor pre pre financial crisis. Not shortly after, but pre that. I mean, I. I We've had low rates the whole time. Yeah. No, it's been uh, it's been quite some time. And I mean, I think even looking at, you know, the rates you get, you can get on your cash, especially if you're looking into money markets that can get you above 5% or GICs. Um, you're still looking at a, you know, positive real return, which means it's the difference between what you're getting in interest and what inflation is. So uh, we'll see in the upcoming months if that stays positive. But for now, I mean, it's still very attractive. We we haven't seen them. We even when inflation was low, I mean, you got like you know pennies for interest, so it's not like you got much. You couldn't even match inflation back then. We have four more topics on today's show, uh, and one of them stick around. People have been asking me relentlessly to cover this, <laughs> absolutely relentlessly. So when you messaged me like, "Dude, you have to, yeah, uh, you have to talk <laughs> about this." It's been too many times. Uh, but before that, can canopy growth? do any right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a question well, that it doesn't seem, you know, if we've been listening to this podcast, the answer probably feels like no. What now in this chapter, what once felt like the bright spot for this business, you and I talked about it. Turns out those numbers were not right and uh, is no longer a bright spot. I don't want to steal your thunder. What happened in the last week? 
Yeah, so people might have seen this. So BioSteel, they're filing for bankruptcy. So BioSteel was owned, I believe, uh, 72% uh, by Canopy Growth. So they had a controlling stake into that. They bought it in 2019. BioSteel was originally founded by John Salenza and Mike Camilleri. Uh, for those who are a bit older, Mike Camilleri may ring a bell because he played for, I think, the Flames, the Canadians, the Flames, and... The Devils, right? I think I may be missing one, but I think he played, he finished his career with the Devils. Devils, Habs. I remember him as a flame. Yeah. Well, I remember I'm a Habs fan, so, as a, but he was yeah, quite good. Yeah, yeah. He was a smaller player, yeah, he but he scored. He scored quite a bit. Um, so they started that company back in 2009, was later purchased, controlling stake by Canopy. Now, last week, Canopy announced that it had stopped funding BioSteel and that BioSteel had started the proceedings under the company's creditor Arrangement Act, CCAA in Ontario, and would be filing under Chapter 15 bankruptcy in the U.S. Uh, Chapter 15 is simply bankruptcy filing for foreign-owned entities. Uh, We saw that with Evergrande or Evergrande, whatever, the uh, Chinese uh, real estate developer (laughs) did the same thing because they're a foreign entity. I wonder if we'll get the the actual, like, pronunciation of Evergrande <laughs> or just say at both. this point at this point I don't want it listen I, listen we, to we, your we get heart. to decide <laughs> yeah, we get That's to decide uh, so the business seemed like Braden was saying to be a bright spot for Canopy like we were doing the earnings every you know somewhat regularly when they came out and as early as like early 2023 uh, sales for BioSteel were increasing at a triple digit clip and they had announced a distribution partnership even last year with Walmart and over 2200 stores and I even thought that Constellation Brands which is the company that owns Canopy I believe they they have a majority stake in them I thought they probably had something to do with that but nonetheless Yeah, so a a few months after that, um, I think it was May, earlier this year, Canopy actually refiled their 2022 statements because of material misstatements and accounting errors in its biosteel unit. So never a phrase you want to hear from a company that there's material misstatements. It basically means it's going to be real bad. And this resulted in $10 million less in revenues for the fiscal year 2022 and we saw also how much money the unit was bleeding and it was pretty bad and i actually took an excerpt here of the court filing it's pretty remarkable how much they were actually losing in terms of money like it's it's mind-boggling like you have to really work hard so in the court filing for the year ending march 31st 2023 BioSteel had 24 million 200, like, let's just say a bit more than 24 million in sales. Cost of sales, 90 million. So they had gross profit of negative 66 million. Gross profit margin of negative 274%. And on top of that, they had other or ordinary expenses for an additional 124 million in expenses for a whopping net loss on sales of 24 million of 191 million. Like you have to work really hard to do have a net this loss. This is impress, impressively <laughs> yeah. bad. Like you, you have to wake up every morning and just like be like, today I'm going to light money on fire. That's what yeah. I'm going to do today. I, like I, when I saw that and I tweeted, a lot of people were like 
couldn't believe it, how bad it was. Um, but even the most recent quarter, the uh, revenues had gone a little bit more up for BioSteel to $32 million. So definitely, you know, something pretty impressive. But the cost of goods sold were still $40 million well above that. And they still had a negative gross margin without counting the rest in terms of marketing, uh, marketing spending, for example. And one of the things that was really interesting the latest quarter is that Canopy said that sales and marketing expenses increased by $12 million for Biosteel because of its NHL sponsorship. And for context, Total marketing and sales expenses for Canopy was 47 million, and they said it increased by 12 million for BioSteel alone. So I don't know how much you know the total expenses were in terms of marketing and sales, but you can make a case it's probably like half of what Canopy was spending as a whole. And uh, they also said that they were basically BioSteel was bleeding around 15 million dollars a month, bro. <laughs> tinfoil hat grows exponentially when you have a business of this size mismanage 10 million in sales you know like the, the sales the sales number is 24 million how is 10 million of it misstated you know it's not like apple that prints like billions of dollars like you know had to you know a 0.0000 was your one percent like accounting error. This is like a material amount of their revenue. Bro, in Toronto last summer, every park you would walk into, there would be these reps that would hand you biosteels. Like they just threw them out like hotcakes, like not like little samples, like full. Were they just throwing that like SGNA in as top line? Like I actually do wonder if like that was being thrown in as top line. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it's just uh, the sheer magnitude magnitude of the marketing and sales expensive. That's what's mind boggling for them. And, you know, you can make a case when you're starting a business. Maybe there's a year or two that you're bleeding a bit of money, especially for something like that, where you have to bring brand awareness. But this thing was founded in 2009 and it's plastered everywhere. Like, how are you not yeah. making more money uh, than that? That's yeah, uh, that's really mind-boggling. And then for Canopy... Chasing bad money after good, right? Yeah. Or what's the saying? <laughs> well, I know what you're saying. I don't know the exact saying, but it makes me think that probably Canopy management figure that, uh, you know, they were being, you know, the top leadership was being lied to to some extent. And they probably thought, okay, they're doing well. They know what they're doing. Um, it's not our area of expertise. We'll let them run their own side business. But I think that's one of the risks if you don't keep uh, at least a decent control over it. That's the kind of stuff that can happen. Throwing good money after bad, Simone. I, I got, uh, I got okay. myself there. I'm just looking at the flavors here because I got, uh, got the images <laughs> up. It is tremendous how good some of the flavors are and how bad some of them are. Like I've tried, I, I feel like I've tried most of them. I feel like there's like five or six of the, the flavors. Some of them are electric, like so, so good. And some of them are like, how did both of these make it out of the boardroom? Like an amazing flavor. And like, I can't have one more sip of this. It, uh, it that That's what always fascinated me with these brands. Like, the same team put together these flavors. <laughs> some of them are so good and some of them are so bad. Well, BioSteel. 
Yeah, I mean, not much more to add. I guess the NHL is going to have to find a new sponsor. I think it's that. And apparently they're, they're going to be terminating all the contracts they have with uh, NHL stars, which makes you think if, you know, if you're a professional sports player, maybe double check the finances of the companies you sign sponsorship with to make sure they can actually afford it. But uh, that's probably a discussion with their agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. All right. These debentures. God, I hate that word. Sounds so buzzwordy. Uh, and that's because it is. And, and we're going to get real buzzwordy here. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to explain it as simple as the way I know how to explain it, because that's the only way I know how to explain <laughs> this stuff. So I've been getting tons and tons of questions, piles of listener questions here on jointci.com, our Patreon, and also just online about these debenture rights and warranties that Constellation software holders have seen show up in their brokerage account. So a debenture is simply a debt instrument, a bond-like instrument, but without collateral. And in this case, the company's raising 700 million Canadian dollars in addition to the debentures that they've had on their balance sheet for a long time, which is just a form of long-term debt that exists on their balance sheet. Uh, I think there's like a 40-year term on it. It goes out to like 20... Or goes out to 2040. Anyways, the debentures are inflation-linked. So the current listed yield plus the in the CPI print, you're looking at a 13.3% yield, but they reset every year. So it's not locking in at 13.3% to 2040. They're inflation linked. So it's the, the, the sticker price of what they're going to pay plus the inflation link. And so they're nominally worth $100 each uh, in terms of the debenture. And you, you can purchase them with the rights to purchase them that have been issued to shareholders. So they can be purchased though, however, for a premium of $138 a share. So there's a premium being put on to them when they start trading. And, and this is a floating number. It, it's, I think it was as low as 136. It's gone up to 138 on the premium. So there's demand for the debentures, clearly, uh, because they're trading above par. So you're going to see two things in your brokerage here, the warrants and the rights. And if you're not a constellation software holder, no problem. But there's something here to to learn because this is the first time I had ever experienced this. So I had to learn myself too. And that's, that's this whole game. This whole, this whole game of investing is, uh, you know, you figure stuff out as you go. So the warrants are one for one, which means if you previously had the debentures, you can swap them for the series one and, and uh, which is the same, except they don't have the redemption clause. Okay. So you can swap the warrants one for one if you'd like. Uh, you, you got one for each share. If you don't have the debentures previously in the previous series, then the war, the warrants are meaningless until they get listed. And then you can sell them for a few, a few buckaroos. You know, you could probably get like a junior chicken from McDonald's for the price of these things, unless you have like a, you know, couple hundred million in, in CSU stock. The rights are on a 3.03 ratio, just to complicate things. So every 3.03, you gotta, you gotta write. And these have a value of about like 30 cents each today, and you you can sell them if you'd want. So this 13 and a half, roughly, current yield with the inflation link 
is quite attractive. Uh, no, no doubt in terms of a fixed income, you know, in, investment here. But of course, it, yeah, I think, I think you have to have a take on inflation from here because it's such an important part of, of, you know, the yield that you're going to get. And if we go to a more normal inflation rate historically, th- this yield resets and it's not nearly as attractive. Now, it could stay elevated for a long time. It could be an awesome instrument to own. I do obviously expect CSU to redeem or else why the heck would they go through this absurd complexity, right? Like I've seen some comments online, like what if they don't redeem? And it's like, they, they will like, you know, like it's not a hundred percent sure, but why would they go through this absurd complexity uh, and corporate finance to get this if they don't redeem? So all of this being said, what am I being, what am I doing personally in my account? I'm not interested in the dementors. I want to own the equity. I want to own just the equity and the spinoff equity. So I will not be using the rights and I don't have any previous shares of the ventures. So the warrants I have, there's nothing for me to do and there's nothing to trade right now. So I'm treating it like a uh, very small special dividend Mm. uh, and selling the rights and selling the warrants when I can in the future. Look, I know a lot of people have been very confused because there's two new items sitting in their brokerage that they've never experienced before. I get it, but you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a huge deal unless you're very interested in in using your your rights to buy this fixed income instrument. Do your research because they are fairly complex. I've seen people do some crazy trades with the spread on the rights as well. Because it's pretty pretty cool asymmetric risk there, uh, asymmetric bet there. It's risky if if you're if people if people are trading the rights. This is a fairly risky asset uh, to be trading. So. Just be, uh, do your research and be careful there. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing to add. I'm a little confused still, but that's. <laughs> don't worry, so am yeah, I. Yeah, okay. I was just yeah, yeah like don't, <laughs> don't get it twisted. You know, yeah. this is like clear as mud. If you read the prospectus that that you got in the mail, you'd leave more confused. <laughs> Okay, like, that's good. Unless you have like, you know, eight CFAs. This is this is very complex corporate finance and 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 uh and and it's it's complex because it's also linked to the first series of debentures as well. Okay. No, that's fair. That's uh yeah. I mean Thanks for the explanation. I, I the, the the takeaway yeah. here is if you have them in your account, you don't know what to do. Don't stress. You know, okay. like don't wor- you don't have to worry good, about it. That's a good takeaway. Well, now we'll move on to uh, stuff that's a little less complicated, at least uh, from my perspective. So, Dollarama earnings. Uh, long story short, here was really a great quarter for Dollarama. They just keep thriving in the current environment that we're seeing, uh, with people unfortunately having less disposable income and clearly turning to Dollar. And I was definitely, I've said it a couple times, but I'm more than happy to say, you know, when I was wrong, when I'm wrong. And I was definitely wrong about this one. You were right because I thought that when inflation started to get higher, I thought it would really eat into their costs and that they would have a hard time passing it to consumer. But turns out that even if it's higher, uh, even if the prices are higher, well, as long as you're still a better value in the eyes of consumer than your competitors, I mean, consumers will go there. Um, and I think that's what we've seen. Anything you want to add before I get into the numbers? 
No, I just like being right. That's all, Simon. Yeah, okay, okay. It's okay. I know you're wrong sometimes, too. So. <laughs> I'm no, wrong I mean, all the time. Yeah. I probably just said something wrong in my last segment. No, with Dollarama here, right, like, that's that's the key here, right, is, is I've been banging the drum on pricing power far beyond what you would expect surface level for a dollar store retailer for a very price-sensitive consumer. Yeah. Turns and- out... It turns out if you have the best value proposition, if you're selling things for half of what other stores are, you know, listing them for, and you have your your supply chain solid and you're one of the only games in towns in terms of dollar stores compared to the US where there's tons of competition, pretty good business. Actually really, really good business. Yeah, and I think where they really do well, I was really reading an article, is they tend to be really good at offering value, but on smaller volume than grocers or even a Costco, right? That's kind of grocer, but other things uh, where they will have, I think, I mean, I'm joking, but, you know, they'll have like just one roll of toilet paper and it'll be, maybe they do, I don't know, but um, that's an example where if you go to a supermarket or you go to Costco, I mean, Costco you have, if you're single, you have enough for uh, two years worth of toilet paper and it'll be cheaper by unit, but you need to be able to afford to buy that 20 something, $25 package and be able to get to Costco, which, you know, some people just can't afford to. If you leave with one toilet paper roll, I have questions. <laughs> yeah, I, have, uh, <laughs> I have an abundance of questions for you. But, you know, that's <laughs> and that's what they were showing is it's not always cheaper at Dollarama, but um, the smaller packaging is cheaper than most comparable in those smaller packages from other retailers or especially typically grocery stores. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. So sales were up 19.6% year over year, which obviously is tremendous. It's above inflation. Same store sales were up 15.5%. Gross margins were down 160 basis point, but operating margins were up 400 basis points. So, I mean, to me, that's really good, especially, you know, operating margin. It's closer to the bottom line. So, at the end of the day, that's one of, I, I personally put more importance on the operating margin, but it really depends on the type of business. But with inflationary costs, I've been putting more and more importance on that. Earnings per share increased 30% to 86 cents. Free cash flow increased 369% to 366 million. They repurchased 240 million worth of shares during the quarter. They opened 18 new stores. And an interesting stat they mentioned was that they had 13% more transaction and that the transaction size increased by more than 2.3%. So the 13% is really interesting because it just shows there's more traffic more people going there um the transaction size that i was surprised it was only 2.3 percent uh but i thought that was interesting and little fun fact did you know that dollarama has operations in latin america i don't think i did know that yeah so i did not either so they own 50.1 percent of dollar city which is headquartered in pa- in panama they have 458 oh. stores in total which is broken down in the following countries 272 in colombia 93 in guatemala 66 in el salvador and 27 in peru so i always thought it was purely a canadian play but um i guess i learned something i was kind of doing a bit more digging and i was looking for the 
their store count. So you know how like a lot of these earnings, sometimes you'll control F to get, uh, you know, find what you're looking for rapidly. Um, And then I saw that. So it's something I wasn't aware of. Yeah, that is, I mean, and probably an important kind of story looking long-term, right? Is like, what can this, it's very hard to do. Can Dollarama look for a place to replicate the model, right? Like, because the U.S. I think is the U.S. is a non-starter. Like, there's there's so there's many players. large, yeah. Yeah. large publicly listed dollar store, like huge companies. Yeah, like Dollar, dollar Tree. Tree dollar, you've dollar got General, five, yeah, five below. Five below. Yeah. All of those are you know double-digit billion market cap public companies. But like outside of that, is there anywhere that they can kind of replicate? So this is an interesting kind of story to follow. I, I, I truthfully didn't know that. So that's that's cool. All right, let's go to Adobe here. Adobe reported their third quarter late last week. Nice little quarter from the company here. It, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. It's been a low-key roller coaster of a stock for shareholders over the last 24 months. And we've talked about it kind of, you know, on and off when it's been in the news. And it's been in the news a handful of times here from extreme optimism, beautiful growth and margins, you know, during the 2020, 2021, early 22 to worry about competition, worry about AI, huge multiple paid on this $20 billion acquisition for Figma, which was, you know, arguably their largest kind of threat in terms of, um, you know, a cloud-first collaboration tool for the design industry, especially, you know, designing websites, graphic design, that kind of stuff. And I don't have a high confidence that that is going to close, by the way, that acquisition. It's looking like a bit of a blunder. There's a lot of scrutiny from regulators. The UE has has probed into it. They have December to provide an answer to the company right now. It doesn't look particularly great in terms of, uh, you know, Bureau of Competition passing through that. So after a little bit of a rocky, rocky rip there, tough comps, a lot of pessimism, the stock has almost doubled in the last 12 months. And around this time last year, we talked about the, the company and it was very unloved. And I said, hey, if you want to be an Adobe shareholder, now's your chance, friends. Like, look no further. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, that was a good call because revenue grew 10% year over year and earnings per share grew up 27% year over year. The pretty strong performance from the document cloud in terms of annual recurring revenue and the creative cloud annual recurring revenue. The run rate is about $12 billion in sales of annual recurring revenue for the creative cloud. Now, looking forward, the creative cloud, the biggest part of the business, only growing single digits is you know, while still impressive off tough comps and for how kind of, you know, legacy in terms of software this business really is, I think that it's going to be pretty like tough sledding, very profitable, you know, mid single digits growth on the top line, maybe low double digits growth on earnings per share, buying back lots of stock. This is going to be a very mature software company moving forward from my view, because they have a landscape of really tough competition. And when it comes to generative AI, you know, the the barrier to entry for creating this stuff is going to change massively 
over the next five to 10 years. We've already seen how good it is at creating images and creating text and, you know, performing tasks. When is video coming? When is, and, and these are all things that Photoshop and, you know, their programs, they're, they're putting that all in there and they say they have better data points than everywhere, everyone. I just worry that that becomes a little bit more commoditized and these browser first collaborative tools like Canva, like Figma, if they don't buy, if they don't end up buying it, pose a kind of a real existential threat to some of their legacy creative cloud businesses. There's been lots of changes in the document cloud. That's become pretty commoditized. Now, how many, how many DocuSign competitors can there possibly be? And I think that they do still run on the rails of, you know, PDF technology, but it's really not like that, that deeply rooted. And, you know, it seems like it's been around forever and things can't change. It's technology. The only thing that does happen is change. So if the company can keep being extremely, extremely profitable, grow a little bit over time, buy back lots of stock, that all sounds good. The problem is, is it's not a cheap stock. It, it, re- it really is not a cheap stock after the run-up that it's had. Uh, I, I liked the valuation, you know, 12 months ago, but it's, it's really hard to justify, you know, market beating returns IRR-wise here. Personally, from my analysis of Adobe, I, of course... The future is yet to be seen, but uh, that that's how I'm looking at Adobe here. No, I mean, you know the name better than I do, so I don't have too much to add here. Uh, I think I agree with you. There could be a lot of disruption, especially with AI coming up. Um, so, you know, just to, to keep in mind, maybe there's something we're not seeing, but uh, I'm, I'm not really interested in the company. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, so that's my two cents there. But I think, uh, I think that's good for, to, for this episode because we're already running a bit long. So I've been meeting yeah, as the last segment, but uh, I'll, I'll bring it uh, in a week or two. It's fine. It's uh, less notes for the next time. That's right. Lots of news from us. In terms of the show coming up in the next you know, few weeks, I'd say, we're making some final decisions and plans forward for my replacement for the Thursday releases episodes. This you know, news style episode, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be around on the, the Monday shows, but Simone will have a new co-host soon uh, and we'll have more and more news. We're, we're just not rushing into any decisions. We're taking it slow. This is our baby uh, we, we, we love doing it. We've done it for a long time now and we love our listeners. So we'll have some, some news. So keep, keep tuning into the episodes. We'll have some news for you soon. In the meantime, you can check out jointci.com. It is our Patreon page. We can support the show. You obviously support the show, but you also get our monthly portfolio updates every single month. And, uh, this, this show here on video as well. And Simone's income portfolio, which is super helpful yeah. for people looking at retirement in retirement, Planning for retirement, you know, it's all it's all good stuff. Yeah, so and I, I tend to go twice, a couple times a week. I'll go make sure if people have questions, I'll, I'll get back to them. So uh, I have it on my schedule to just go check uh, once in a while. Yeah, and don't forget if you've been looking to subscribe to Stratosphere, Stratosphere.io, you can use code TCI for fifteen percent off. That is code T. CI on stratosphere.io on a paid plan for 15% off your first year. Give you a nice little discount. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. 
Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.